success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. We have an amazing guest for you. Today, we have Nancy Murphy, founder and president of CSR Communications and creator of the Intrapreneurs Influence Lab. She's the intrapreneurs evangelist helping to guide change leaders as they navigate the treacherous shoals of internal politics and transformation. Her expertise is overcoming resistance to change, change leadership, and how to achieve your goals in the face of rapid change. Nancy's career includes stints at the Steve and Jean Case Family Foundation, global consulting firm, APCO Worldwide, and with the federal agency that runs AmeriCorps. Her clients include well-known philanthropies, Annie E. Casey, and W.K. Kellogg Foundation, corporate brands, UPS and Sodexo, City of Baltimore, D.C. Public Library, and Special Olympics. Nancy also mentors and advises executives from local governments, federal agencies, global nonprofits, foundations, and Fortune 100 companies. Nancy, welcome to the She's Invincible podcast. It is so great to have you with us today. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been looking forward to it all week. Oh my gosh, I have as well. Oh my gosh. So let's just jump right in. Let's tell our listeners, how did you get where you are today? And what makes you invincible? Well, whenever I reflect on my journey and how I got to where I am today, I realize it was definitely not a linear path. So... (laughs) You know, sometimes people will ask us, well, they want to follow your career path. And I always think, oh, my goodness, it was so not one foot in front of the other. But I started out, I suppose, as a uh, Catholic schoolgirl in the Midwest and eventually made my way to Washington, D.C., I thought I was going to be a lobbyist when I was in high school. I guess that was a career counseling thing. So I come by my influence and persuasion focus, honestly. And I really have a passion for wanting to make the world a better place. So I came to Washington, D.C. thinking I'd spend my career in the federal government and instead took kind of a crazy journey to local nonprofits, to federal government to the corporate sector, and really every step of the way, thinking about how I was challenging the status quo and working to not only make the world a better place, but the organizations that I was working in better places too. 
and eventually realized that kind of taking what I learned from my paternal grandfather and my maternal great-grandfather, who were both entrepreneurs, that I had this entrepreneurial spirit. And by starting my own company, I could marry that entrepreneurial spirit with my uh, commitment to intrapreneurs and leveraging the power of the large organizations they represent. I love that. And you've done so many things, so many different things. It's so exciting, you know, to look at your journey and just to even imagine. So I can't wait till just unfold here Mm -hmm. and yeah, and share some of that because it's so interesting. So what would you say makes you invincible? I would say there are three things that make me invincible. The three L's love. So knowing that I've got this amazing family and network of, you know, mostly women (laughs) who always have my back. So that's why I'm so excited to be on this show and kind of share my story with other women, because to me, there's a lot of power in love and knowing that no matter what happens, there are people there to catch you. There are people who have your back kind of makes you feel stronger. And then learning Being really committed, one of my mantras is always in beta. So what can I learn next? Knowing that anything I feel like I can't do, it's only because I don't know how yet. And then leaps. So when you know there are people there who have your back, when you know they're going to pull that net out the second you step off the cliff to catch you, and you believe in the power of your own personal development and ability to learn, you can leap. And that's what makes me invincible. I love that. The three L's love learning and leaps. Uh, that I, I just, I always love to hear everyone's perception and, and their, you know, definition of invincible. Oh my gosh. So let's do this. You know, we talk about entrepreneurs and we know that you're focused on entrepreneurs Can you break that down for us just for our listeners? Like they may be wondering, maybe they haven't heard that before. What what is this all about? So intrapreneurs are those folks who have similar mindsets, you know, that innovative, disruptive, always looking for improvement, seeing opportunities where others see challenges, but they're doing it within legacy organizations within large established organizations. So where entrepreneurs want to solve a problem or seize an opportunity or change the world by kind of going off on their own and working outside the system or the organization or the industry, intrapreneurs are doing that inside organizations. They're the ones who are leading efforts to make organizations more equitable and inclusive, more responsible, more environmentally sustainable, more innovative, more effective, and leveraging the power of these organizations that are already at scale, you know, that have the reach, the expertise, the talent, the resources to realize the kind of world that we probably all want faster. Yes. Like yesterday, right. (laughs) Or last year. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that is such a great, great way to break that down. It really is, you know, helps to understand. So 
we've had a lot of change, right? <laughs> this world, each person, everyone, uh, businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, uh, we've all had a lot of change over this past year. And I know that this is your expert zone of genius. So I would love to talk now about how to lead change with less resistance and frustration. That almost sounds impossible, right? Whenever there's change, there is resistance, there is frustration. It's, you know, it's not easy, right? And so I would love for you to share a little bit about that today with us. Yeah, well, where where should we dive in <laughs> on that topic? Because it's a big one. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, the first things I'll say is that while I do talk about leading change with less resistance, one of the biggest things I teach is a is a mindset flip or switch around that. Because if we think about resistance, like in strength training, for example, or athletic sports, resistance we use intentionally because it makes us stronger. And so if we think about resistance or pushback when we're leading a change effort as not always a bad thing, but as something that can make our ideas stronger or better, that can illuminate blind spots that we have, that can help us make sure that we don't put the organization or our team at unnecessary risk while we're pushing boundaries and, and shaking things up a little bit. And so the first thing that's important is to rethink the way we think about resistance because it's not always bad. It can actually serve us really well if we can approach it with sort of a curious, open mind and use it to our advantage. I love that. Oh, that's amazing. I love what you just said about how we use resistance for to be stronger, right? When there's, there's lifting weights, there's, you know, kettlebells, there's all the things, right? Uh, even yoga, right? And so that makes us stronger. Uh, and we do that on purpose with intention. That is such a great, really great explanation. So why is it? Why is it that we could look at that uh, so easily, like, oh, I'm going to go get strong. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to go press 225 pounds, right? And like, that's a good thing. You're looking forward to it and you know you're going to love the result. And yet the same word with the same definition um, is is a negative. Is that what you talk about when you say that mindset shift, that flip? Yes, absolutely. So I teach people to think about, so one of the ways we can minimize resistance is by not pushing back against the resistance so much, right? But figuring out what we can learn from resistance. And so part of the mindset shift is understanding resistance isn't always bad. In fact, it can be a very good thing. So I do use the analogy a lot just to get people, you know, to see it differently, right? Where they think about, the track athletes that train with the giant parachute attached to their back or whatever, you know, to create that wind resistance on purpose. And then also how to specifically minimize the extent to which the resistant resistance continues by not pushing back against it, but actually 
being open, kind of absorbing it, if you will, and then figuring out how to learn from it. And so we do a lot of conversations around curiosity and the specific ways to overcome the types of resistance so that you are using them to your benefit. So there are three common types that I've seen in all of my years of leading change and working with entrepreneurs. And I'll just give you like some one quick example. So one of the most common ones is what I call the what ifers, right? So these are the people in our families, in our teams, in our organizations who are those Eeyores, those doomsday planners, you know, they go straight to the, well, what if we, make this change and half of our customers walk out the door or what if we do this differently and our biggest donor doesn't like it and they won't partner with us anymore or what if we do this and you know the sky falls in and so when we hear that and we've fallen so in love with our vision for change right that we're now resistant to hearing any feedback and so we get mad and we think these people are just being negative nellies and all of that that exacerbates the resistance if instead we say huh i might have some blind spots here because i will speak for myself as a change leader i tend to be probably overly optimistic and believe that things will always work out. And so I might not see some things that would put the organization at unnecessary risk. And so if we instead play to that strength of these what ifers and invite them to lead some scenario planning efforts, for example, you know, go to that deepest, darkest place. What is the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen? Okay. How likely is that to happen? Maybe it's even 50% likely. Okay. Well, what would we do if it did happen? So invite them to be part of the team for the change you're leading by playing to their natural inclination to go doomsday, right? And to instead do some scenario planning to mitigate that risk. I love that. And you know, my next my next question was going to be about frustration, but this this feels like if you could lean into that and embrace it, that that would alleviate a ton of frustration that you might otherwise be faced with in this process. So Let's move into the frustration part of that. So where do you see, um, you know, where this resistance and frustration go together and how might you, as I just mentioned, you know, even more so alleviate uh, the frustration? Yeah, well, there there's a lot of different um, kind of tools and techniques and, and tips that I share with folks that are really designed to, I think, do a few things that help reduce frustration on the part of the leaders. You know, one is helping them understand that this is a natural, expected, very common part of leading change. So oftentimes, particularly in really large organizations, these entrepreneurs can feel like they can feel very isolated, like they're the only one championing this new way of working or thinking or practices, policies, whatever. And their colleagues are hiding from them in the hallway because they're the broken record that's always telling people they got to do things differently, right? And so part of that is appreciating they're not alone. And it isn't because 
they're not having these experiences because they don't know what they're doing. They're having these experiences because organizations are made up of human beings and human beings have emotions and these psychological triggers that make change hard. So this is expected, right? So that sort of helps with the frustration. Oh, oh it's not just me. It's not just my organization. It's not just that I'm bad at my job. The other thing is giving them then the insight and the tools to understand the five psychological triggers that make change hard, the types of resistance that we tend to see and what you can do about them, right? So it's also not just illuminating the challenges, but giving them some really concrete things that they can test out. And the program that I have that I teach these things in most frequently is called the lab for a reason, right? Because the third piece of the frustration is waiting until you feel like you've perfected the skill or you've landed on the exact right solution to move forward is never going to happen. So how do we as leaders really step into that experimentation mindset? And well, let's just try something. Let's just test this out. Let's see what happens. Let's learn from that. You know, going back to what makes me invincible, right? That learning that always in beta, let's see what we learn from it. Let's adapt, adjust, try the next thing. And so those are kind of three key ways that we can reduce frustration for those change leaders. I love that. And I was going to, I was on the tip of my tongue, beta, right? Beta. Yes. It goes back to that. Let's just keep trying and figuring these things out. That is amazing. Now, I know, you know, even from my own journey and so many others that when we're going through lots of change, right? Multiple change, that feeling of, you know, frustration, resistance, sometimes we get stuck. And, you know, we're mostly goal oriented, whether we're entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and we become just, you know, we just get stuck. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about how to work through that to not just be a goal setter, but be a goal getter. How do you get unstuck in a moment of, you know, resistance and frustration that you can continue to go towards your goals and to lead your, you know, your group towards the the goal that it is you're working on? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I say all the time is anyone can be a goal setter but very few of us are goal getters. And so what are the things that make the difference in that? Because let's face it, nobody sets goals with the expect or with the hope that they're not going to meet them, (laughs) right? We all have the best of intentions. So I think there are a few things and I'll just give maybe three or four of the, the key tips that people can use. So First of all, I think it's fewer than, uh, you know, less than 1% of people in the, the country, in the U.S. anyway, actually set concrete goals and write them down. So, you know, the number one thing is getting really clear, writing down your goals and not just your goals, but the specific actions, the levers you can pull that are most likely to get you there. So what does that look like in practice when I'm pursuing that goal? And again, a lot of us will say, you know, oh, we want to triple our sales in 
the next year, or uh, we want to lose 20 pounds or whatever it is, but okay, what are the specific things? What does that look like when I'm pursuing that goal? What are the levers I can pull that will get me there? So not just the end result, but being clear on the, the how, the process for getting there and writing all of that down. The second thing is then not just assuming it will happen or if things go awry as those of us who set New Year's resolutions and then by January 20th, we've already given up on them. Um, And this happens a lot. If you think about the last year, 15 months in particular, right? The whole world got upended. So it's super easy for, especially for individuals, but even for teams and organizations to just be like, oh, well, global pandemic, goals out the window, plan out the window. Well, that doesn't have to be the case. We have one of the things we teach is are are these daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. A lot of us do this annually, but I have daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly practices and tools that I use to realign with my goals, realign with those actions, look at what maybe has changed in the world or inside my organization or my team. And okay, what does that mean for the timeline for the goal or the how? Do we need to adjust the how? But we don't just abandon and then go default to status quo, right? So those are two of the three. And then the last one is usually there's there's something underneath the goal that is the motivation for that goal. Like there's some feeling we want to have or some, some principle, some value that's tied to that goal. And so getting really clear on that why, and when things get hard, when that commitment that you made at a time when you were really excited about the result, (laughs) but you maybe are now wavering on when you're in the middle of the messiness and, and the challenge of actually sticking to it. How can you come back to that? Why that is the core of your commitment and remember that and get back into that kind of feeling. And that will help motivate you to stick with it when things get hard. Oh, I love that. And you know, it's so true, right? When it gets messy, we're ready to jump ship. We're like, oh, this isn't, no, we want the, the, we want the win. We don't want to do the work and we don't want to overcome the obstacles and, and have, you know, the hard times, right? We just want the end result. And sometimes, you know, we think we want something, but then when we're faced with those obstacles, we're like, do we really want it? Right. Are we willing to pay the price? And I love what you said. It's that, that motivation behind that is going to, that's your do or die. Like you're either going to do it or you're going to die out. Right. And then abandon the goal. And, um, I love that. And I think it's so important to have that attached to what it is you are going for and being very clear so that you don't jump ship. And, and the other thing that you said that I think applies to this as well is expect things to go wrong. Expect obstacles. Don't be surprised. You know, anything that you do that's great is going to come with so many things that you have to learn, overcome and work through. And if you expect that at the beginning of the journey, you won't be surprised and you won't stumble halfway through when you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? You know, when things implode. So I love, love, love what you're talking about here. It is so 
powerful and such tangible tips right now that people could use, whether they, maybe they are stuck right now. I mean, things have changed so dramatically over the last, what, uh, 13 months. So um, the, this is just, just gold right here. These are golden gems. I love it. Now, I know you have a challenge going on, a 30-day change, leadership, survivor. It's a survival kit. I, I can't think of a better time to have a survival kit. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, so I'm going to be very clear in your language choice there around challenge because <laughs> when I first created this program... <laughs> I was, you know, as an entrepreneur, and I know many of your listeners probably are, there was a time, especially kind of a couple months into the pandemic, where I felt like every email I opened and every podcast I listened to, people were like, it's a 30-day challenge, it's a five-day challenge, it's a 24-hour challenge, and I was like, Gee, Christmas. I wanted to curse there, but you know, <laughs> life is a challenge. Getting out of bed right now is a challenge. Don't give me any more challenges. I need a survival kit. And so I thought, huh, that's interesting. I need a survival kit. I bet lots of other people need a survival kit right now too. So I created the shift change leadership survival kit. It is Monday through Friday for 30 days participants get a an email from me with a three to six minute video lesson, these little snackable learning bites, because who has time for anything more when you feel like your life is in chaos, and we're now getting ready to, you know, return to office, return to travel. So everything is all upended again. There are um, a couple of journal prompts, and then one action item for the day. And there's two share and solve sessions with me. So you can hop on and on a Friday, you know, twice during the month and ask questions or dive a little deeper into one of the lessons. But everything I do, I mean, you just mentioned these are such practical tips. They're nuggets. My intent with everything I do is to not help people explore theory or become a better leader at some point in the distant future. It is what's going to solve the problem of the hour. Give me a tip I can try out right away. You know, the second folks take the earbuds out of their ears from listening to this podcast, I hope they feel like they got at least one thing that they can apply immediately that solves the problem of the hour that is super practical. I love it. And I think you gave that. And I love that. I want to check out this survival kit too. Amazing. Well, this has been just amazing. And I would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find you. So I am very active on LinkedIn, Nancy Murphy, and I would love to connect with people there because it gives us a great chance to engage. Love it. Okay. And now a word from our sponsor, Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, 
kids, and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. All right. Well, this has been so great. And you know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we are going to feature fierce female entrepreneurs and we are going to highlight and share their expertise. And you have done that so great today and offered so much value here. Uh, Just tips and, and things that they can do right now, make small changes even to make a big difference in their business or their life right now. And I appreciate you so much for doing that. We also promise our listeners that we are going to pull back the curtain, that we're not only going to highlight these fierce female entrepreneurs, but we want to show our listeners that they can do it too. See, we're here. We are delivering hope to women around the world in other countries, and we are bringing them hope that when they look at you today and you are so well-spoken, you're so well-educated, you are on a mission to make an impact in the world in a positive way and to help people live their best life and run their best organizations. But you, Nancy Murphy are not the same Nancy Murphy who journeyed this journey. And it was through the journey that you became the Nancy Murphy you are today. See, women tend to compare themselves. And when they compare themselves on their journey to you, where you are today, they always come up short. I have not yet figured out how to get women to stop comparing themselves. So I'm like, I'll just fix you. I'm just going to show you what she had to go through. You know, you say you want that success, but are you willing to get in the trenches, to have the bloodiest knees and the muddiest boots to get where this Nancy Murphy is today? And so we're about to do that right now. Are you ready? Oh, well, after that lead in, I think I need to take a deep breath. But yes, I am ready. You go ahead and breathe. You go ahead and breathe. And so we're going to start with the good because I, when people say to me, do you want the good news or the bad news? I'm like, sign me up. I want the good news first. Lift me up before you drop me. So I would love for you to tell a story about your journey that was good or great. Well, before I go into that story, I really do want to say how much I appreciate the prompt to even think through these things and this regular segment that you do on each show, because I am a believer in the fact that we are at this point of kind of an emerging feminine leadership in the world, in the universe. And so I think these kinds of stories are really important for all of us, but especially women to hear right now. So my good story is from, I guess, about 2002, 2003. After the 9-11 terrorist attacks, I was working in a global consulting firm. UPS was my client. I'd been working with them for several years. And one of their philanthropic investment areas was around volunteerism. And I remember a couple of weeks after the 9-11 terrorist attacks and reading all these stories about random volunteers, people who drove across the country to show up at the World Trade Center site or the Pentagon to help. But especially because of the security concerns around those sites, 
random volunteers were turned away. There was just no way for them to engage. And thinking that there had to be something we could do about that. And so working with UPS, FEMA, and the Points of Light Foundation, which is the national umbrella organization for all the local volunteer centers around the country, we spent, you know, what I thought was going to be one convening, bring some leaders together, you know, leverage UPS's convening power to get these organizations to create some new protocols. Well, <laughs> I quickly learned that that was not going to be a one-day event. This turned out to be probably a two-year process of getting folks at the table, understanding the history among these, uh, between the sort of the, the FEMA disaster folks and the volunteer center folks. And that was where I started to learn a lot of lessons about how we lead change, how we understand those psychological triggers and that resistance. And in the end, we were able to create a series of protocols and processes to engage what are called unaffiliated volunteers in times of crisis. And to this day, those processes and protocols are still in place. So if there's a tornado or a flood, or God forbid, another terrorist attack or a global pandemic, there are ways for people to know that they're needed and engage and to do good. And to me, that was just one of the, it was where I really started to hone some of these skills. And it's one of the things in my career that I'm most proud of. That's amazing. And, you know, it, it just shows you, too, that out of the most tragic events comes some of the most amazing teachings, right? And, and pivotal changes that, that really go on with us to the future. And uh, that, that is amazing. And, I, you know, I remember those times, even, even through the pandemic, but even back then. And um, I remember feeling so helpless, right? You're watching it on TV and you're listening to the news and you're seeing the devastation and the, it, it's just the, the, so heartbreaking. It's hard to believe that our world went through that or that any world would go through that anytime. Uh, but you, you do feel so helpless. And I think we're all kind of program that we want to help, right? We, we want to be helpers and, you know, sometimes it's just not set up for that. So I love that you're a part of that and that you were able to lead that change and really put some of that, you know, to, to use and that will make it easier in the future. Right. And I can imagine that yeah. feeling you had, right. So tell us about that. Like what you said, like, it was awesome, but what did that feel like to you? Well, I mean, I think one of the key points you just made is, an important element of the healing process when any of this happens is for us to assert some agency or some control, right? And so when we show up and we want to help and we're turned away, that almost exacerbates what we're feeling. And so, I mean, for me, what I felt when we finally started to like have some cracks in the armor <laughs> around bringing these groups together and having real conversations. And then the cultivation and the nurturing I did of those relationships over time to get this across the finish line. It was just, it really helped me realize that 
and I'm, I've been thinking a lot about this recently and, and applying to some of the grand gestures folks are making around diversity, equity, inclusion, racial justice in the last year. I think had we shown up and had I sort of forced people through getting to some agreement in that one day event or day and a half event, like flipping the switch and having it all come together, we might have gotten a great proclamation out of it but I don't think we would have had the sustained change. And like knowing how much effort that took and how much relationship building and all of the things that were put in place that enabled those processes and protocols to be sustained all these years later and to continue to improve, like that was never going to happen if we had pushed things through in one day. And so feeling really proud of the ability, my ability to realize that and stick with it, but also the other folks at the table, you know, to be willing to put in that work over time to get to a better result. That's amazing. That is so amazing. And to look at where we are now, right, as it gets better in that area, that you can say, like, I I did that, right? And I mean, obviously, it wasn't you alone, but right. it was you and your efforts and your vision and your leadership uh, compiled with others that did that. And it is amazing. It's like you want to pinch yourself, right? And say, it's real. It's real. I, I really did that. I was a part of that great thing. And I, I love that you're making such a big impact in the world already and that you continue to do that. Well, this has been fun, but now we have to take a turn. <laughs> we have to deliver hope. And so we'd love to celebrate and then we deliver hope. And so we want to share a bad story, maybe an obstacle that you had to face and overcome along your journey, something that was bad. Well, I think it's important as I share my bad story that I put a little bit of foundational context in it. And a lot of times in conversations about change leadership, I will share the story. And I I did a bit in my introduction of my Catholic school upbringing And so I, after 16 years of Catholic school, I will say I was trained very well. And as much as I tried to overcome it, I think this is still like simmering in the background of my life all the time. I was trained very well to wait my turn, to be invited to speak or to have a seat at the table, to think of the value or contribution I could make in a somewhat limited way. And even though I knew that kind of wasn't right, it, you know, when it's pounded into your head day after day for so many years, it's hard to entirely write it off. And so that's important foundational context because the bad story that I'm going to share is around my experience coming into the federal government right after grad school and thinking I was going to spend my entire career in public service in the federal government and very quickly realizing that probably my expectations around people who were here to serve the world are all good. And that's not (laughs) always true. I worked in an agency that was a brand new um, effort created by the Clinton administration, but was kind of merged on top of an agency that had been around since the Johnson era and had kind of gotten beat up a little bit under some Republican administrations. And now there was this new 
you know, reinventing government kind of mindset coming in there. And that kind of created a, a bit of a toxic culture. I also was brand new to Washington, D.C. and not realizing how assertive I needed to be in the workplace to have my voice heard, to not be taken advantage of. And at one point, I realized after feeling like I was working so hard and kind of picking up slack in other places and really wanting to meet the needs of all the grantees I was working with more and more that kept getting kind of piled on my plate, that I had a significant pay disparity from several of the men in the organization. And I remember learning that and just feeling like for a couple of days, I couldn't get out of bed, you know, and now I'm, I'm living in this kind of less than ideal culture, feeling like I'm fighting for my voice to be heard. And now I feel like I'm also being taken advantage of in a lot of ways. And so I, I remember listening to one of your earlier episodes about someone saying she went home from a bad day at work and sort of rage planned her business. Well, <laughs> I sort of rage planned my next career move. And, you know, maybe that's not always the best frame of mind to do things, but I'll tell you what, you're really motivated. You're willing to take risks. Um, you make a pretty clear decision in those moments. And so I sort of let myself, you know, wallow for a, a little bit of time. And then I sort of came back in and said, okay, well, what am I going to do about this now? And what's the step I'm going to take? And I ended up making a career move, which took me out of the federal government where I thought I might spend my entire professional life into an environment that really, it uh, fed my strengths and um, fed my attitude, I think, and allowed me to excel and have experiences that I never would have had had I stayed in that environment for a single day longer. So what a gift, right? And, you know, it's like I say this every time, right? When we share these stories is we as in in the moment, we feel like it's happening to me and we're like, why is this happening to me? And then when we look back, we see it happened for us, right? It's happening for me. Uh, it's so because and like you said about that rage planning, the truth is we wouldn't make that shift had we not been forced. So it's like it's it seems like rage planning, but it's always been in our head. And now we're just really pushed to the yes. limit. Isn't yes. it true? Like, and then we're like forced. We're like, I can't do this another day. Now I have to go do what I always wanted to do. And then that feels like, you know, almost like an irresponsible approach, but it isn't. It really is just you being free to just allow it to unfold of what really you've been creating in your mind all along. It's like that perfect scenario. I know know, I had it and other people have it in, in the jobs or businesses that they're in where they're saying like, if only this or only that, or if I didn't have to do this, I would do this. Like they're always dreaming. And I really feel like when we're pushed like you were, or even like in a pandemic, you know, when we're pushed or we we're losing jobs and, and going home and things like that, that it is actually happening for us and allowing us to say, oh, that job I hated the one, you know, I'm going to go do what I said I would do if I didn't have to do this job I hate. And so I'd love that, you know, 
the, I, I don't know, it's just that pressure and that pushing of that forces us, right, to actually do the thing we said we always wanted to do and live in the freedom. And you got to do that, right? You got to create what you really wanted and what was there waiting for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, the saying what when one door closes, a window opens or something. Well, the window might open, but sometimes we're standing on the ledge and we need that giant shove out of it. So. Yes, it's so true. It is so true. I, you know, oh, I could think of a hundred scenarios in which that's the case, you know, uh, and it's true. We do. We really do. And a lot of times we don't won't, won't pitch ourselves, but other things, you know, will push us and then boom, there we go. And we fly. And it's like, you talked about the, like, what if, what if, right? Well, Hey, when someone pushes you out the window, there's no, you're not thinking about what if you're thinking about flapping your wings, right. And, yes. and going soaring. And, uh, I think like for you, that's what happened. Look at you now. And mm. that is to me is such a gift. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And now of course, my friend, we have to go ugly. Because we have women that are face down on the ground right now, and they're counting on you and your experience and your wisdom and this story so that they can get back up and they can chase their dreams. So let's give it to them. Yeah. In reflecting on, on this, in some ways, I feel like my entire 40s were one giant ugly. <laughs> so. So maybe for, for any listeners out there who are in their 40s, I've since learned this is a very common thing and that the closer we get to 50, the more upswing we experience. And so I, I if that gives you hope, I, I do feel like that was my that was my story. So my ugly is uh, about six years ago, over the course of a couple of months. I had what I would call a series of body blows, I suppose. So I was in a job that wasn't making me happy. I didn't feel like I was excelling. And yet I was determined to stick with it. It was sort of like if I just keep beating my head against the wall harder, eventually I'll make a hole. And Fortunately, I suppose in hindsight, um, my employer also realized that maybe this was no longer a good fit for me. And in probably the not, I mean, if there is an ideal way, I don't know, but probably not the best way after a series of like weird things of people being brought in over me and things, whatever, basically I was let go. And I remember feeling like this is the first time in my life this ever happened. I don't know what this means for my professional future. How do I tell people about this without feeling like an utter failure? Who All these people are going to judge me, these people, whoever these people are. And in the wake of dealing with that, feeling totally devastated and as if I had no value and how could I possibly ever get a job again? My marriage also was slowly or perhaps rapidly <laughs> falling apart. Um, 
having had a, a weekend in Ohio at a family wedding where I would say we each had very different experiences of what was going on with our relationship. And pretty soon after um, learned that this marriage was absolutely not going to work and, and found out there was actually some infidelity um, going on. And so now feeling like my professional life is a disaster. My personal life is a disaster. Again, a lot of shame and guilt, you know, thinking about that Catholic school training again, people in my family don't get divorced. Um, how am I going to communicate about this? And then to make it even worse, the divorce sort of dragged on forever. And there was no particular reason for it to do that. And I just felt like for about 18 months, it was just this series of constant reminders of how trapped I was, of how little choice or little control I had. And I remember in a in a snowstorm, I was sort of scrolling through my phone, watching it snow out the window and saw an opportunity to attend a free event with a business coach. And I had been thinking about, you know, if I'm building this business on my own now after losing my job, I probably should get some help. And so I signed up for this event which was happening like three weeks later. And I find myself sitting in the room and listening to this woman talk about the drama triangle. And I think coming into this, you know, the whole way from the airport, I'd been on the phone with my lawyer and, you know, one more barrier, one more hurdle. He's still not responding. And I'm sitting in this room listening to the description of the victim and why sometimes we love to live in victim land. And that means there has to be a perpetrator. And then we're waiting for a savior and this whole, and I just had this aha moment of, I have for the last 18 months been living pretty much in victim land and feeling like I had no control, like I was trapped. And I was starting to make some good choices about my business and where I wanted to take that. And yet I was still sort of living in this perceived lack of control. And the second we had a break, I walked out the door, picked up my phone and called my lawyer and said, I don't care what you think I'm leaving on the table. Get this done. The money doesn't matter. I have full faith and confidence that if I can just free myself of this situation, I will be fine. The money doesn't matter. Nothing. Just get me out of the situation. And she's pushing back on me. And I'm like, you're not hearing me. <laughs> I'm taking that control. This is my choice. Get it done. And it was like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulder. You know, the cloud that had been following me around for the last 18 months was finally gone. And I, I wanted to share that story as painful as it is, because it's a helpful reminder for me sometimes just to go back there when I'm feeling like the world is happening to me. And I have to remember that in almost every situation, we have some choice. There is some small sphere where we have control 
And the second we can start to assert that it becomes the snowball, you know, the momentum starts going in the right direction. And so I'll just, you know, encourage people listening to this to find the small sphere of control and what, what choice can you, and will you make in that situation? That is amazing. And it was that, and you know, you hear people say you're one decision away from a different life, a better life, a different outcome. And isn't that true? Like in that moment, it was that one moment, that one decision that took you from that victim to victorious. Oh yeah. Yes. It was like you exercise that one right, right there to say, I don't care what it takes set me free. Right. Like that was really the message, even though it wasn't the words was just like, get me out of this. And you instantly became victorious. And even you just described that as you said, how that felt for you of that weight. And it was instantly. And I think that is such a huge message to our listeners is that a lot of times the pain is in the being in limbo, right? Being in that, in that middle place on the fence, you know, teetering in the middle. But when you just, you know, as scary as it is and as sad sometimes as it is to make a final decision like that, um, it, it also gave you so much freedom to live the life that you were really brought here to live. And that to me makes you so invincible. And I have to tell you that so many times during this conversation, I just want to put on my gloves because I feel like there were so many times in these stories that you shared and these experiences that you had that I could visualize you putting on the gloves Mm -hmm. and fighting back. And that's what it takes. That is what it takes to chase your dreams, to live the life, to step into your greatness. And you did that every time every single time. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and encouraging our listeners. And before we say goodbye, I just want to ask you to finish this sentence for me. The world would be a better place if more people knew blank. Their own power. Oh, mic drop. I love it. The world would be a better place if more people knew their own power. Thank you so much for being with us today. Guys, this is Nancy Murphy. She's with CSR Communications, the creator of the Entrepreneur's Influence Lab. She's absolutely 100% invincible. Thank you for being here. And to our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or your business. But right now, if you're face down on the ground right now, girl, get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.